This is your host, Sarah Jonas, and you're listening to the Black Design Podcast. Hey, all, welcome to episode three. So it snowed in New York. And uh, as you know, when it snows in New York, it kind of just puts a big pause on everything. The city stops, everything is quiet. It kind of uh, forces you into a moment of reflection. And I had mine this morning as I was looking outside the window and all this big white kind of resembled a giant clean slate. And it made me think about what's next for me as a designer, but also as a human being. It also made me think about all this change that came with 2020 and that we were not ready for. And so, you know, I was wondering how other designers, black designers had been impacted by the pandemic, knowing that that likely occurred on multiple levels um, because of uh, systemic disparities. And uh, it reminded me of a conversation that I've had uh, with a fellow designer earlier this year where um, he was telling me about his own transformation from designer to artist and how the pandemic actually became the catalyst for that transformation. And so before I introduce um, him and the conversation that we have had, I want to encourage you to revisit 2020 and all the change that it brought for you and embrace that change and look for those catalysts and know that sometimes they're hidden in moments of sadness, moments of confusion, moments of frustration, um, but they're still there and they're there to help you take that step that you were afraid to take or you know, spark the next phase in your life or career or simply to just help you look at the future with fresh eyes. And if anything, I want you to listen to this interview and um, I hope that it inspires you as much as it inspired me. And so on that note, I want to introduce my next guest. He is a creative director and Grammy Award winning designer based in Brooklyn with his own practice. Um, I am sure that you know him from uh, his work in the music industry. He is responsible for some of the most iconic album covers of all time. He has also worked with some of the biggest name names in the industry. And he's incredibly humble. He His advice is so genuine and heartfelt. But what I like the most about him is that he's so unapologetically transparent and that's so rare in our field because it's so competitive. But um, I mean, this guy, if he has experienced it, if he has a process, if he knows it, he'll share it. And um, I mean, if we're talking about just us black designers, um, that's what I consider generational wealth because he'll basically pass on anything that he has uh knowledge of and experience with. Um, So I appreciate that to the fullest. And without further ado, the founder and creative director of Slang Inc., Mr. Julian Alexander. 
I couldn't wait for today. I'm really excited to speak with you today. And so for those who are not familiar with your work, which seems impossible because you're everywhere, uh, can you please introduce yourself? So I'm Julian Alexander. I'm an artist and creative director. I'm the founder of Slang Inc., which is a design studio that focuses on creative direction, branding, and design for lifestyle and entertainment clients. Um, a lot of my, a lot of the work that you so kindly um, summarized is kind of being ubiquitous. Like I, I think most people know my work through album packaging work. I've been part of some pretty, um, some projects that have had pretty wide reach from artists like 50 Cent to, I don't know, like I, I've, kind of put in a lot of work in that area, but now more personal, you know, now more recently I've been kind of focused on just doing art that speaks more personally um, to mm -hmm. the moment that we're in. So some people know me through the Supremacy Project, which is a more public art piece that's been kind of alive and activated in Brooklyn, but has been spreading through social media. Yeah. And so I wanted to get a little bit into that, but also like how has, um, COVID-19 impacted you, uh, you know, as uh, basically an independent practitioner? And how did you respond to it? Because, I mean, we were all thinking about the big agencies and how many people will get laid off and who gets to keep their jobs. But we forgot all about the freelancers and uh, the independent contractors or, you know, the, the, the smaller studios. So what was your, um, how did you deal with it? So my immediate um, response to the world shutting down in, in a way of speaking and just kind of changing everything and, and going with the unprecedented times was to really put more focus on personal work and just doing what I want to do as a creative person as opposed to relying on um, client work. I'm still open to it. I'm still, and I do have client projects, but I just braced myself for putting, you know, putting my effort and energy into things where I have more um, say so on the outcome. You know, I had a conversation with my mother when, um, <clears throat> when we all went into quarantine and she was just kind of asking how I was doing. And I, I put it to her and, you know, I'll just tell you this because I think it's the best way to kind of explain my outlook mm -hmm. on it. My mother she kind of knows what I do, you know what I mean? But it's a little bit right. abstract to her, you know what I mean? So she's like, are you going to be all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be all right. But I was like, you know, look, it's a different kind of time. And this, you know, so when we're having this conversation, I think in March, I was explaining to her, like, she knows that I work with Apple. She knows that I work with Nike at times, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, every single Nike store on the, on the planet was closed. <laughs> and so I was, yeah. like, I was like, you know, in terms of me thinking of getting work from people, I can't look at it in that perspective. I was like, look, all of the stores are closed. That is a huge loss of income and revenue. And I was like, they get all of their money from athlete endorsements. A, a, mm -hmm. a big, that's a big part of their business model that drives sales. I was like, at that time, I was like, sports are not happening. I was like, the Olympics are canceled. So I was like, wherever I was on the totem pole, I'm way lower because yeah. they're, you know, these companies that I rely on to feed my business aren't making money. So instead of kind of panicking about it, 
I just, you know, because that's just the reality. And I'm like, you know, even if, even when these businesses sustain themselves, it's inevitable that they're going to have to let people go. And when they yeah. let people go, I would imagine a lot of those people, they will, they may be not, they may not be able to employ them full time, but they will be able, those will become, some of those people will inevitably be part of their freelance poll. So it kicks me that freelance pool. So it kicks me down on the totem pole. So my response to that is to just make the stuff that I want to make and just kind of make my own art and not really rely on other businesses to support me. And I'll just do the best that I can with that. At least, you know, I'm willing to gamble on myself and just do what what feels right to me and see what opportunity, what doors that opens up. So long-winded yeah. answer, but that's, that's kind of my direct response to the moment that we're in is to just kind of dig in and do what I want right now yeah. as opposed to chasing yeah. opportunities that may not be there. Absolutely. No, actually, thank you for going into it in depth because um, that was exactly my point in talking about this. I mean, many of us have been impacted, but, you know, how you deal with it is also like a reflection as your nature um of your nature as a designer, right? And so mm. are you going to invest in your creativity and like maintain your um, uh, creative competitiveness regardless of, you know, what the market looks like? And uh, it's also a way to stay sane, to be perfectly honest. I mean, mm. uh, a, a lot of us, like, I've, I've heard stories for days and we're not going to get into it, but it was really sad, especially... Um, for us black designers, I think it was an unprecedented time where we had to deal with such a layered situation because obviously um, COVID-19 also brought about, you know, uh, kind of just exposed all at once the, the immense flaws that the system has because mm -hmm. it wasn't built for uh, black people. It didn't include us to begin with. And so I think we had to deal with an extra set of issues that were exacerbated by you know, the political turmoil and everything that was going on. And then during this time, I feel like, um, you know, you're like an amazing example of, you know, how we could use our time to like really reflect on our condition as human beings. And one of the projects that you started during this pandemic is the Supremacy Project, which you have briefly mentioned earlier. And it really just highlights you know, the horrible truth behind all this uh, layered suffering that, you know, some of us go through. And so can you share why and how th the project came about and also talk more in depth about the design choices behind it? Okay, so the project came about because, you know, we're, we're all sitting here and dealing with COVID. And in the midst of that, we're revisited by just kind of the the ugly nature of how people are treated, um, systematic racism, oppression, mm -hmm. um, lack of accountability for our lives being taken and kind of how we're fed to the system. And something you said was, you know, we weren't factored into the fabric of this country. It's not, that's not what you said, but that was kind of the gist of it. And I think we yeah. were, we are actually, absolutely built into the fabric of this, but I think we're in a role that doesn't really value us. We're there. We're, we're part of what drives part of the economy. And, and so many things that we're here, but we're also consistently, um, you know, 
things happen to us at the hands of other people. Things happen to us, period, just based on the way that things are structured and there's a lack of accountability or um, desire to change these things. And, and while we were going through the pandemic and the murder of George Floyd at the hands of police happened, um, mm -hmm. I'm sitting in my house in Brooklyn and listening to helicopters overhead every day mm -hmm. and turning on the news and seeing things that are happening right outside my house and being greatly affected by that. Um, and I decided that just as a creative person, I needed to say something about the moment we were in and just express myself. And that manifested itself in um, a piece of art that was a collaboration between myself and Stephen Irby, who's an amazing photographer. And he had shot this, you know, I had reached out to him because I had seen some of the images he had been shooting and posting. And <clears throat> I just found one that spoke to me and I asked for his permission to design with it. And he was like, go ahead, do your thing. And I used that image and some very simple type that is influenced by Barbara Kruger's design, which was adapted by Supreme for their box logo. And yeah. I used an element of the CVS logo, which includes the word pharmacy in it. And I combined those two brand um, identities to create the word supremacy. And the artwork to me speaks to, it gives visibility to some aspects of what the brand of supremacy looks like to me. So as an artist and as a designer, I'm using brand, brand language to kind of stop people in their tracks and, and start a conversation about what's going on and, and the, the moment that we're in. Yeah, and to me, what was amazing was actually the impact of, you know, also thinking in terms of who participates in this um, idea of uh, supremacy, who plays into it, and like corporations, as well as, you know, um, the, 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 uh, the policy body, so like the government and police, and it, it's like a whole, a very well-oiled machine, and to piggyback off of what you were saying, true, we were infected we were factored into the system, but not as, as, you know, regular human beings, yeah. more as, you know, cash cows, essentially. Yeah. And um, it's a harsh reality. Um, but I think what was so amazing about your project is that you've been able to bring so, like, so many layers of it into one place to where you could really just sit in front of the mural and, like, really start thinking about how things work. It makes you, it shows you, like, where you should look for clues if you're really still like you know if you still need more clues because like at this point I don't know what needs to be told but I thought it was really important to you know stop be stop people in their tracks and and talk about like brands that are like so ubiquitous and like everywhere and we want to embody like this this society that really just hasn't made a relevant space for us, you know, and, and to me, it was like really striking. So Thank I you. love how everything came about the photography, the collaboration, the collaboration is a huge part of it. Um, and, you know, and I thought of it in terms of, you know, we haven't had something like that in a while. I think there's a lot of like social design happening on social media, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's now driven by technology. So there are, there's lot, lots of tools and templates that are available to people um, 
you know, to create their own design assets for protest and infographics and, you know, whatever they need to make their voice um, heard, but also to be seen, like to create a visual impact, right? And so what do you think is now the role of a trained designer like yourself, you know, somebody that actually uh, has formal or informal, but like classically trained design um, uh, background? And what do you think in broader terms is the future of social design? This is a tricky question for me because at this moment, I'm so, I'm really focused on kind of making this turn from designer to artist. Mm. I don't see them as separate things. I, but a lot of people do. And I think if you kind of go traditionally in the sense of graphic designer, a graphic designer exists. It's a graphic design traditionally is a service industry. If you don't have clients, you have nothing to design. It's not really viewed generally as a per, as a place for personal expression. And I am working to create what I feel personally, what I'm driven to do as an artist, regardless of whether a client is asking for it or not. And there's certain things that I'm like, you know what, clients don't get this. This is just for me to express myself because I can't compromise with it. And when you're doing work that's client-based, there's compromise built into that. So, mm -hmm. so for me, the role of a trained designer might be different it might, you know, I think that's a complicated question to ask because I think as an artist in this moment, I'm compelled to speak to what I see going on and how I feel about it. And the way that I use my voice is through my art. So I can just more so personally speak to my role in this moment is to be honest about what I see and feel. And I've had opportunities opportunities have been presented where I could have gotten more placement or exposure for this project, but people have asked me to change certain things about it. And I've just flat out refused. Like, I'm like, that yeah. work is what it is. I'm not changing one pixel, <laughs> not the color, not this, not that. You know what I mean? If there's something that seems to make sense to me and I want to resize it and fit it, then I'll do that. And that, that is very different. That relates to myself as an artist as opposed to what I've been trained to do in the practice of design relative to client work. So I think people just kind of have to see, you know, like to see people do is use their voice in the way that they're best um, suited to do. Um, you know, for some people that's going to a march, for some people that's a matter of changing, looking at your staff and practices. Um, changing the environment in your studio. I think, you know, there's not one solution to that. So, but I think everybody has to take a look to, you know, where they want to be in this moment, what side of history they want to be on and not move based on how they think they're going to look, but move honestly and, and do things that, that they can stand behind and carry forward. Because I think that's really important. And as it relates to the future of social design, um, you know, these are important questions, but 
this is the first time I'm thinking about them because I don't think about that stuff when I was making these pieces. I just did what I had to do. This is what I felt in my mm. in my heart and my spirit. And I did, I wouldn't feel right if I didn't say something. So I just I did it because I had to. And I hope that, you know, you know, I would like to think that we can see more work out in the world that speaks to the times that we're in. Things that are released and out on large scale that encourage us to think, not just drive us to spend dollars. And that's a big thing about this supremacy piece. I didn't, there's no signature on it. There's no like follow this hashtag or any of this, which maybe I'll do going forward to gain other exposure. Maybe I won't, but I didn't want that piece was created not to be about me. It was just a statement and I mm. wanted it to be out in the world and people to just see it and think it didn't matter where it came from as much as it mattered, like just stop and think and have a conversation with somebody. And, you know, that's all I wanted in return was to know that it connected with people. And I think a lot of, you know, what we see in terms of design is value is measured in terms of how people spend dollars. And I don't think that's the only metric that matters, particularly right now. Yeah, I mean, I love all the points you have made because one, they came from the heart, but also it's, it was a very organic sort of reflection on on where we are at as a society and also where we are as um, as creatives, right? Because we do have to, it's not really like a black and white decision, uh, uh, you know, about are you going to be an artist or a designer? I think you through your work, you have combined the two flawlessly way before this piece. That's my, <laughs> that's my opinion on your work. And I, I've been seeing that, that transformation. And I think obviously, you know, it culminated with this piece uh, or this series. Um, but I think you made a great point about, you know, this is, this is where social consciousness is, is moving. Like you have to decide where you stand for yourself. It's, it's also about living a happy life. It's also about, you know, having peaceful communities, like if we're all doing what we want to do, what we believe in, and it, it, you know, it's helping everybody else in the process, then that's probably what we should be doing. So I think it's important to talk about these things because like you said, they're complex and there will be different opinions, but I think there is also a natural shift towards, you know, hey, we're starved for peace. We're starved for humanity, human quality, like we need to like really reconsider, you know, our position on multiple things, you know, whether it be what we do for a living. And like you said, design, um, you know, at this point doesn't have to be about, um, you know, making money or, you know, just, just uh, doing what the client says. It's, it's really about um, redesigning society, rebuilding a society that works for everyone and not just the people that put themselves in charge. So I think there's a lot there that people can think about when they listen to this, uh, to your answer. Um, and you also have a unique perspective because you came sort of from like the, the, the eye of the cyclone because you came from the music industry mm -hmm. and you're an award-winning designer. So, uh, you know, your career sort of started with, you know, designing some of the most famous packaging. Um, we were talking about 50 Cent, but you have also, you know, I mean, 
what packaging haven't you designed <laughs> like pretty much like all the music we listen to and we geek out to like you have designed the cd for it um and how did you get started and what was it like to come from such a an ex- almost like the opposite uh, you know of where you are right now um i got started how i got started in design or in music design for music in design for music. So I, once I started studying graphic design, I realized I had to make a decision about where I wanted to apply that. And I decided, I really, I, I've just always had a fascination with album art. I would spend time mm-hmm. as a kid looking through my father's records and like being fascinated by like Rick James covers and Earth, Wind and Fire and Parliament and all of these things, they would get my imagination going and they would make me want to hear certain music based on what the cover looked like. So once I realized like graphic design is very broad, I had to, I realized I wanted to decide where I wanted to put that energy and I decided music was it because I love music and that's not what my gift is. You know what I mean? Like I love, I can't, I can't <laughs> rap, I can't sing, I can't make beats, none of that, can't play the drums. So um, this just seemed to make sense. And, and I was able to find opportunities early on through people who, you know, I, that's what I was actively pursuing in terms of internships. I interned at, in the art department at Atlantic Records. I started working with a photographer who had a you know, a, a design arm to his business, Daniel Hastings, who shot like the first Wu-Tang cover and all of this stuff. So like around that time, I'm starting to build relationships. I connected with Say Adams, who was the creative director of the drawing board, which was Def Jam's in-house art department. So I found, you know, just I had a focus and I was able to build relationships and find opportunities that got me into position to be at record labels and be in the art department. So, you know, as in the 90s, I'm like at the Def Jam offices, like seeing my heroes and like people, you know, just being in these environments that just seemed, it felt like I won the lotto a million times (laughs) over. You know what I mean? So I'd say that just kind of solidified that that's where I wanted to be. And I buckled down and just kind of dedicated all of my energy to that. And that's how I learned um, you know, because again, I'm like hyper focused on making the cover, but I'm like, you have to create brand elements and brand identity. These are not terms that were being used, but making somebody's logo and then coming art directing a shoot and figuring out how to make this create a campaign out of these assets that live in multiple platforms. So whether it's advertisements, billboards, the a record, a cassette, like all these different formats and making sure it's consistent. So that's where I learned everything I needed to know. And I ended up at Sony Music. That's where I, that's the label where I spent the most time. Um, and <clears throat> in 2003, I did two packages that helped me, they kind of cemented the future of where I was going. One was as a freelancer, I did I designed Get Rich or Die Trying, which was the first company, the first project that came under my, uh, it's the first company that carries a slang ink design credit because I did it on my own um, at home at night. I built a relationship with 50 a few years prior to the release of that album. 
And I worked on that and that album came out. But also at the, that's what I was working on at night. During the day, I was working at Sony on a Miles Davis box set for the complete Jack Johnson sessions. And yeah. in 2004, it turns out that 50s debut album sold a gazillion records and everyone saw it. And that was the package that kicked off my business. So it created a lot of opportunities for my studio. And then the package I was working on at work, it, I won a Grammy for the design of that package in 2004. So it was like a critical moment. And I was like, I'm quitting the job and betting on myself and doing this full time. And that allowed me to just kind of maintain that business. Um, it would allow me to fully take advantage of the opportunities that came to me as a result of designing that package and build my studio and further establish myself in the music world. Yeah. And I mean, uh, your work is really like, it stands out because it, it brought class to hip hop, honestly, like what we knew before you or like concurrently on, in some cases was the work of, um, uh, what was it? Pen and pixel. <laughs> yeah. They were doing, and, and that was like, okay, I guess we'll take it. Like, there's nothing else around, you know? And then you came around, and, like, all of a sudden, it's street, it's hip-hop, it's hardcore, but it's so classy, and it's so clean, and everything is just, everything has a place on the layout. Everything is just where it needs to be. It made sense visually. It made it feel refined. Like, I don't care what the music was talking about, but it just felt like, high-end product and so the stuff that you did i mean the cover for the game um the documentary and actually yeah yeah like i mean it doesn't get it's minimalist but it's not and then it's crisp it has all the elements you see the gangster you see the streets you see everything you need to see about the inside of the story but it makes you feel good it's something that you would display at home and like be proud of it, and it's just i mean we could go on and on and like I, and then when you touched e40 i was like that's my turf like bay area i was like all over it that's what's like, up you saw that this is how you that doesn't come up in my Whoa. conversations a lot i know people saw it but it never comes no. up I was going to bring that up first, but then I'm always the one pushing my turf and I'm like, oh my God, like that E40 cover. I was like, who did this? And so, I mean, but even like we look at the JLo logo, um, that's what people remember when they think of JLo. Like that's, it stayed with yeah. her. Like that's, that's it. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we could go on. Like it could be a whole well, episode about that. Which we should I'll probably, just say thank you because um, that's what I want to I want to, I want the artwork to communicate the passion and love that I have for the culture. And I think a lot of times people have, you know, may have some artistic ability or know how to use the programs, but don't have an appreciation for the art. So it's just like, you know, they're like, yo, this is cool. The pen and pixel stuff, as you said, like now I look back on it, like, wow, this really was a moment, but you know, they, they built, they built yeah, a business in the studio around it. It was just like, you know, they knew how to use Photoshop in a certain way that I think, you know, it worked for what they were doing and their clients were happy with it. But I think also it's, it doesn't have the element of timelessness that I try, that I strive for in my work, which I think is based on like a, a certain authentic connection. So thank you for what you said. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, I mean, you have achieved it. You have conquered it. You have won awards for it, not because, you know, you were there. And that's the difference. I think 
the respect that you had for the content, for what you were designing for, I think that's what shows, you know, it's not just, uh, I mean, clearly you have a very refined and like timeless eye for uh, design, but it was also like almost sort of like a ritual process. Like, you know what they're talking about, you're feeling it and you're going to give it the respect that, you know, that it needs because I mean, hip hop ended up influencing the entire world. And, you know, we're still sometimes talking about it as if it was, uh, you know, an afterthought, like we always like to pretend like it doesn't have the influence that it had. And to me, that's when I see work like yours, I'm like, no, this is what we're talking about, actually. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's pretty dope. And um, but also like then technology, you know, has come and then, uh, you know, it changed the music industry. And now what do you think designers in the music industry need to succeed as opposed to you know, what was needed when you started? So, you know, I actually, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, not to be, just to be, th all right, I'll say my perspective on music versus what I think people in the music industry need to be doing. So mm -hmm. my perspective is music, I had to shift. The reason that I don't primarily work in the music industry anymore is not because I'm less passionate about music. It's because I can't survive off of it in the same way. All of a sudden, because of how people experience music, there's not the same need. The skill set that I had has been devalued by the way people experience music. People don't buy, they don't buy music. Music is free. You stream it. You know what I mean? So, so all of a sudden, people don't pay the same amount for the artwork. So to me, the, the, for instance, I've worked with Common more recently in the last couple of years mm -hmm. on creative directing um, and contributing to his show. So like when, when he's performing at a festival, what do you see on the stage behind him? When he gets off stage, what does the merch look like? Is it a pop-up? Is it an mm -hmm. activation? And so you can, so the album package is just kind of the begin. the album art is the beginning of the journey. It's kind of, that's where you see the logo, that's where you see the images, but you, we have to be focused on creating a full experience that relates to how people experience music today. So that includes not just the design of the cover, it's not just album art, but it's how does that translate to merch? What are you doing? Do you understand how to do motion graphics and things that can create a vibe for um, when someone's performing? What is that experience? Then when you have people, and, and I say that I'm not even factoring in COVID at this moment. So now that people can't go out to shows again, like how are you using technology to create these experiences? People are on Twitch or you know they're on Instagram live but more so Twitch has like an ability to change graphics so how are you creating experiences so that music for me music has always been more than just what i hear it's a feeling and it translates to what i see so i'm like where are the opportunities to be more well rounded in the approach that align with how people experience music today so i think that's how you have to look at it whereas before there was a time mm -hmm. you make your package your job's done you move on that's like that model is so old, you know what I mean? So it's like, you just, you have to really yeah. just pay attention to what exists in the world right now and where there are opportunities and, and where there are opportunities to try and do something that's a little bit different. You know, a lot of people, um, 
they're comfortable. You, you, we have to just kind of think outside of the box and see where there are new opportunities and push things forward. As opposed, I just think it's important to be proactive more, be more focused on being proactive than reactive. Exactly. And so that was going to be my next question, you know, imagining the future of music and then designing for the, the music of the future. Right. And so we see uh, now there's a, you know, sort of like a trend of like the visual albums, you know, and which I don't think Beyonce was the first one to do it. We've seen Maxwell doing mm -hmm. it before um, when he had, you know, he had a hidden um, short mm -hmm. film in his in one of his previous albums we've seen other people do it um i mean even in the past there have been artists that have done a music video for every uh song on their album uh one of them is two shorts you know if we want to keep <laughs> it bay area uh the, you know of course uh but that's like too far back of a reference but that's you know the way that morphed into the future was you know black is king or yeah. lemonade and Uh, people are referencing those because they're obviously they're huge productions, beautiful, uh, you know, but how can we go beyond that? And like, what are some experiences that people could think about, you know, in your opinion, for a, a, a reimagined future of music? I mean, I don't, I think a lot of this stuff, as I look at it, it's, It's really, um, I tend to look at things, approach each project individually. What the project is determines or helps find what the answer is. You know what I mean? Um, so it's hard. I, I don't have a blanket answer. I just think we have to be, you know, attentive and, and really kind of tuned in. For example, like D-Nice and what he does with club quarantine mm. that just didn't exist until one day he did it you know what i mean and like now all yep. of a sudden everybody yep. does that and, and when he did that as a friend yep. somebody who like i i'm like yo you're doing this thing and i saw the art that you posted here here's a here's some flyer art that i think is you know just i appreciate what you're doing and i sent it to him and he used that and that kind of kicked off You did the flyers? No, no, the I did a flyer early on. You know what I mean? Which I don't even think is on his mm. thing now. It's on my Instagram, but I don't think it's on his anymore. But as it was growing, there was one thing that I did. But I did his logo years ago, which is included in that, which is now like part of the merch that he's doing. But again, the point is, look at the versus stuff that's happening. Like you can see people, but again, like there's a lot yeah. of things that just kind of pop up. And I think if, if I were to lay out like, oh, somebody needs to do this, it might not really line up with how things are really just going in this moment. So I think we have to be quick on our feet and, and figure out in real time what the solutions are to what's happening around us or where there are opportunities to push things forward. But it's like, if you have great ideas and no outlet, it, it's just going to be, you're going to yep. be sitting on it. You know what I mean? Or if you, or if you yeah. just kind of, you know, we can't force a square peg into a round hole or whatever that's saying is and so i think it's just a Absolutely. matter of being tuned in and and having a broad range of knowledge or resources or people that you know who are exposing you to things and figuring out where you can collaborate and push things forward 
Yeah, and I think those are super valid points because at the end of the day, I mean, with technology and social media, things are moving at the speed of light. You really just got to, you know, catch on with the times. Like, you got to jump on the train when it's, uh, you know, coming your way. So definitely um, pay attention to what's happening around us. Um, what When did you gravitate from uh, music towards, like, other clientele and kind of started expanding uh, and diversifying your portfolio a little more intentionally. Yeah, well, I so, was late yeah. um, because I was just like loving music and that's where my connections were. Um, but it it happened, I can't tell you what year, I'm trying to think of a project, but like it was kind of toward the tail end, like things were slowing down with my work with G-Unit and with Shady Records and Interscope and Aftermath. And a friend of mine, uh, who I know from the music industry. He used to work in music. His name's Kevin Wallahan. He had went and he he moved to Portland and he was working at Nike. And he reached out to me with some opportunities from Nike. And he recognized, and I had the feeling like what we knew made sense. And he knew from experience, I knew from theory. When you're talking to the fans of athletes, you're talking to the same audience as the fans of music in many cases. So the person who like love, is wearing LeBron sneakers and watching him all the time is probably listening to the same album package in that I'm, <laughs> they're listening to the albums that I was doing mm-hmm. hard work for. So it just, it was a smooth transition that allowed me to use these skills I built over time and speak to the same audience. It was just that the subject of what we, the subject of the conversation was different because now it's a sports angle, it's sports driven and focused. And, and then I realized that there was a lot of other places where I could do that. If I worked with things that had to do with fashion, I could speak to the same audience. And I realized I just wanted to speak to a certain, um, certain kind of within a certain age demographic, like I realized that's my audience. And then I became open to everything or I started pursuing a lot of avenues that made sense and had synergy with that. I also look at movie posters and key art. Again, like that's kind of very tuned into what my, what my audience is and who I've already established that I am effective at communicating with. So, um, The shift came when music work just really kind of transitioned and it came out of necessity, but it made me look more broadly at where I wanted to be. I was like, I want to, you know, I know that I'm not going to be like trying to design stuff for dish soap. You know what I mean? It's not really the work that I wanted to Mm -hmm. do based on the body of work that I had and what I felt would be fulfilling to me. So I started to just strategically pursue opportunities that would allow me to find outlets that I felt were parallel to the work I was already doing. Mm. Yeah. So was it difficult to like, you know, source clients of a certain caliber or like find projects that like, how much did you have to compromise? It's very difficult Um, because, you know, I think a lot of this depends on, it's not, It's not who, sometimes it's not who you know, it's who knows you, which, you know, because it's mm-hmm. like, I might know this person or that person or that person, but sometimes, you know, you need your name to come up in a room where, <laughs> where you yeah. know, that might have cer- certain type of 
that can produce a certain result that I might not have reached to. So a lot of the work came when people who advocate for me or know my work would bring my name up in certain rooms or certain situations that I had no way of being in. And a lot of times when you just start blind, like if I, if I told you I want to do work with Paramount or Netflix, Netflix is a better example. Mm-hmm. Six months ago, I wouldn't know who to call. Like, it's just like a, I don't know where to start that conversation and to get in front of the people who really need to see me, but, or who might be receptive to what I have to offer, right? But now, through time and experience and just the way the world works, I know people who are there who have kind of extended to me and, and those are relationships that are being built. But sometimes I haven't been the best at controlling how that stuff goes, how new relationships are formed. Mm. My philosophy, I always just try and put out strong work consistently and then let you look for me. You know what I mean? Like it's not the best, it's not the best way. It's a very kind of, um, I wish I had a better way, but that's kind of what has worked best for me. And, and, And it worked well when I was focused on music, because in music packaging, your name's in it. A lot of the work that I do for other clients, Mm. people know the work, but they don't know who did it because it's not credited in that way. So so it's it's a challenge, I work on it, but I've been very fortunate because I have, you know, because I've been doing it so long and my resources and relationships have basically been what, not basically, they absolutely have carried my career to this point. Mm. And so that brings me to my next question. As you come full circle today then, where you're more focused on your, you know, I'm going to call them mm-hmm. passion projects and I don't want to diminish anything, but it's really, uh, you know, doing the work mm-hmm. you love essentially um, and focusing on transitioning into art. Um, how, why do you think this type of projects are important um, to a designer or someone who's becoming an artist and what are some ways to you know balance that with paid work okay so the reason again i speak about myself the reason they're important to me i'm i'm very aware of my age i'm not old but when i show up on a photo shoot or on set for a project i might be one of I might be the oldest person in the room in that scenario. So as I look around, I mean, hardly. <laughs> look, but, but yeah, I, like I get if, your if point. I'm on set and everybody point. there is thirty, and I got fifteen, sixteen years on you, it doesn't make me old, but it makes me mm-hmm. look at like, look, in this context, I'm not the, I don't occupy the same space, and I look at it in terms of career and growth, and for me, what's really, what's important. One of the things that's paramount to me is I just, I love doing the work. And as you evolve further in this field, the more experience you get, sometimes the less you touch the work, the more you're there for leadership and and doing um, kind of guiding processes. So the thing is, as much as I advance and as much of a leadership role as I take, I'm not happy if I'm not doing some of the work. So Mm -hmm. I then think about, well, what does that look like? And, you know, when I'm 50, when I'm 60, 
then I'll be looked at mm -hmm. as older in a certain context, or I might look, I might be in a position where my experience can work against me because you're looked at as being older or out of touch or just you're not young. You can't get younger. You can get more experience. You can't get younger. Whereas I look at in my personal, yeah. in my personal work, all of my experience only makes it better. It adds to it because I'm only expressing myself. I'm not trying to fit in into something that um, is only youth culture is personal expression and everything that I bring to it. I'm getting better every day because I'm learning every day. So that's one of the things that I think about the path that I go forward with and, and how it's important to me to kind of pour energy into my personal things because that's what I, that's what I do all of this work for is to express myself and I'm never going to get tired mm -hmm. of doing that. I might get tired of like yeah. showing up for something that, you know, look, as a designer, as a, you know, we're not passionate about every project we work on. But True. when I work on my personal work, I feel pat. It might not come out the way I want, but I walk into all of them completely passionate. You know what I mean? So it, it just becomes more appealing over time to me to invest in myself. And I've, yeah. I've spent all of this time building this career. So why, you know, I just feel at this point, I'd rather me get the benefit of all of my experience as opposed to trying to yeah. sell it. Yeah. And so, you know, and we're seeing actually a lot of uh, younger designers that are uh, building their portfolio, you know, starting from passion projects because they may or may not have, you know, the same opportunities or maybe they're just looking for like, you know, quick, a quick Instagram link up. And regardless of what their motivation is, you know, if they're passionate and they're good at it, do you think, um, you know, from a business standpoint, do you think that all the people that are creating uh, you know, passion projects and they're uh, are focusing on um, even design work, but more like an artist like you're doing. Do you think that that should count towards portfolio building? So when you go for a job interview, that should be taken into consideration? Yes, but I think you have to be, you have to be mindful of it. I can tell you when I interview or meet with creatives, it's important to me to see who you are. These are people you're going to spend time with. Like, I, I think, first of all, this answer is predicated on the work being good. You know what I mean? Like it has to be, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it, of it course. Can't just be like, oh, it's for me. So I don't have to finish it. It's like half baked or whatever. So if you create work that you feel yeah. strong about, what's the difference who it's for? Because if you rely on only putting in professional work and you haven't you don't have a certain level of experience then your your portfolio is going to be completely limited anyway or if you're choosing an existing company and mocking up something then that doesn't make it better than doing your own thing i think you have to find some balance the thing with when you mock up if you just kind of this, for instance, say Nike, right? If you create your own mm -hmm. Nike project to put in your portfolio, the thing that's of benefit is both you and the person you're speaking to are probably going to be familiar with Nike. So they can understand, like, even though this isn't real, like, I, you got the vibe. You know what I mean? Like, 
you can kind of mm -hmm. translate that thing. Whereas if something's coming out of your head, people don't have a point of reference. So, so it can yeah. be, yeah. it can complicate things, but I feel like if you do something that's really strong and it shows what you're about and it, and it, and it's balanced with other work that gives people a sense of context, I don't see why you wouldn't. The, the last yeah. thing I'll say though, real I, quick, sorry, is, you know, mm -hmm. I think you also just have to be prepared for the conversations that, the questions that might come with it or the dialogue that's going to come after. You know, if you, you can expose yourself to conversations, if you're putting passion work, passion, work that you're passionate about in there, it could start, you know, somebody might have questions. And I don't think you should hide from anything about who you are or what you feel. But you just have to be, if you open that door, you got to be prepared to go there. Like, don't create a piece that is like, oh, it's about yeah. when this happened and then somebody asks questions, you're like, I don't want to talk about it. It's too sensitive. If that's going to be the answer, don't do it. Don't yeah. put it in your <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. you're going to be able to give, yeah, to give the yeah. context. No, I I absolutely agree. Um, and, and I think, I mean, there should be a balance. I see a lot of um, uh, black designers lamenting the fact that, you know, not having opportunities, they're left to show their uh, their passion work. So, for example, illustration work that really may or may not have a story. Maybe it's just a series of illustrations and they're really good, but it's not enough for them to get the job because they haven't had other commercial right. opportunities, you know, or, you know, other cases like this where the person that, you know, is kind of forced to put to beef up their portfolio with these passion projects they're not, you know, sometimes they're not seen as, well, you know, you've done this in school, you've done this, uh, you know, on the side, but where's your real work? And so are you asking me to show you that I'm a good designer or are you asking me that I'm a person, if I'm a person that can create their own opportunities, you know, what are you hiring me for? And so I, th I think it's good to have different, um, you know, uh, perspectives on this and I, I think it, what you're saying makes sense you know be able to create a content a context for it so that it, you know it supports the work that you're doing and it gives it more of a meaning but it's also you're being able you become able to discuss it yeah. in a professional manner um so of course you know i would talk about design with you all day but <laughs> i can't you know hold you hostage so we're about to wrap up uh before we go, I wanted to, um, you know, give uh, people a chance to see your work again, impossible that they haven't seen it. Uh, but uh, where can we see your most current work and where can we follow yeah, you? So the most current stuff is on uh, Instagram at Slang Inc. Um, the website is slanginc.com. It's going to be, it's going to be relaunching soon, maybe by the time this launch, by the time this is released, I'm not sure. But yeah, in the interim, just, um, I'm yep. most, Instagram is where I'm most active and it's at Slang Inc. And also if you, to see the project, the Supremacy Project, um, on Instagram, that's at Supremacy Project. Oh, it has it, its own Instagram. It that's true. Yeah. People must follow because that's the project of the year. Um, it's no, it's really beautiful. I love it. Um, so before you go real quick, can you share your design one-on-one or your five tips? I'll tell some of the things that help me evaluate whether I want to do work, uh, take on projects. Cause I think it's an important 
kind of gut check that I would like to share with people. Maybe it'll work for them too. Um, when I'm looking at uh, projects that I want to get involved at, involved with, excuse me, I view it through the lens of four things. One is the work has to be challenging. Two is it has to allow me to collaborate with good people. I feel like it, you know, in terms of the, the just kind of their nature and their work, I feel like if we're not doing something, if we could, if we're doing something that's not challenging us to do something greater than we could do alone, then there's no point. Three is the work has to, you know, I have to believe that it's going to lead to an end result that I'm proud of. And the fourth thing is, you know, you have to reasonably, reasonably feel that the work is going to matter to the audience it's intended for. If you're doing something and people could just kind of mm. walk by and be like, oh, whatever, <laughs> then, then something ain't right. Yeah. So, those are the four things that I think are important. And, you know, just to add a fifth, because you asked for five, it's just like, keep working, like keep, keep pushing so that you can grow. I think it's really, really important sometimes, particularly now where opportunities may be slow and we not may not be engaged with clients. Just work anyway. Just make stuff. Don't allow yourself to sit there and get rusty. It's, it's, it's not going to benefit you. Gold, pure gold. Thank you so much, Julian. This was such a great conversation and I hope we're going to have many more in the future. And uh, thank you, thank you so for your much time. for having me. I appreciate you. The Black Design Podcast is part of the Black Design Space Project. You can find us on our website at theblackdesign.space or you can follow us on Instagram at theblackdesignspace. Space.